Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. everybody. Happy Resurrection Sunday. We're so glad you came to join us today. Let's go ahead and stand up and we'll continue worship. As we have a few more coming in the door, it looks like. Just a reminder that you are in Christ totally, totally free. You mean a new creature that we have every reason to worship. And because you're free, that means you can worship however you see fit. If you want to raise a hand, if you want to sing, if you want to sit down, totally up to you. We're just glad you're here with us. Let's sing, Who Am I? Who am I that the highest King would welcome me? I was lost, but He brought me in. Oh, His love for me. Oh, His love for me. Let's sing together. The sun sets free. Oh, it's free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Is he free at last? Free at last. He has ransomed me. Oh, his grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for me, who the Son sets free, though he's free. stars they wept the morning sun was dead the savior of the world was fallen his body on the cross his blood poured out for us the weight of every curse upon him 
for freedom this morning. Thank you that you broke the chains of sin and death when you sent your son to die on a cross on our behalf. Thank you, Father, that you give us new life through his resurrection. And we celebrate that this morning, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. We're going to do something new this morning. Go ahead and have our ushers come forward and we'll begin our offering. But you'll remain standing. We'll pray over our offering and then we'll continue on our worship. So pray with me. Father, this morning we have the honor to give sacrificially in response to your gift of sacrifice on the cross. Thank you, Father, that we're free from the old law this morning, requiring us to give. We're free to live under the new law that allows us the freedom to give without boundaries. So as we give this passion offering this morning, remind us, God, that we're stewards that it all belongs to you. We're just managers, Father. Remind us that where our treasure is, there our hearts shall be also. We know, Father, our treasure is in Christ today. Thank you for this time of worship. We celebrate Jesus this morning. We honor him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.
authority this morning. We lift up your name. We love you so much, Father. We love you so much. Thank you. Amen. Well, I am really excited to be here with you today. We're going to look in Mark chapter 16 today. And we're going to kind of go back. I really hope that today we can kind of begin to get a sense of what was really happening, you know, that morning, about 2,000 years ago, early that Sunday morning. You know, and I, and I think back about those disciples, and, and we're going to really focus on the women who were coming to that tomb that day. And I think about, you know, what their Saturday, what their Saturday had to be like, you know, and, and how uncertain Saturday was for them. Uh, I think back on Friday and how dark. You know, we call it Good Friday, but the reality is that for them, you know, Friday was not very good because, you know, their their Messiah, the one who was going to bring uh, deliverance, and many thought uh, deliverance from Roman occupation, you know, their Messiah is hanging on a cross. I mean, he's been beaten within an inch of his life, cat of 39 tails. If you beat him 40 times, you'll kill him 39 times. His body was scourged, uh, flesh ripped from its bone. And there he's hanging, and all their hopes are dead. And, and so Friday, you know, and, and, and many of them weren't even there because after he was arrested, you know, they, they scattered like a covey of quail, right? But then Sunday morning rolls around. And I want to ask you today, have you ever been convinced of something? I mean really, really convinced of something, but then you found out that even after you were convinced of it, that you were wrong. I, I can think back in school. I think back on times where I took a test, and I was absolutely convinced that I had hit a home run. I mean, I aced that test. I, I mean, I, I did awesome. And then I get my grade back, and then I realize that even though I was convinced I did really well, I was wrong. I didn't do so well. Or the converse, the other, the other way around with this thing. You ever taken a test? And you thought, man, I just bombed it. I bombed that thing. It's horrible. And then you get the grade back and go, oh, there is a God. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. I did so much better than I ever thought. You might have been convinced of something, but you were wrong. And then there's another step. There's another step where something happens and you go from being convinced to being convinced absolutely. And here's my question for you today. When it comes to your relationship with God, where do you stand? Where do you stand? Where do you stand? Hopeful? Convinced? Or convinced absolutely? You know, yesterday in, in studying in the office up here, my heart just kept going to a, a fictional character I'm going to call Johnny. And I thought about Johnny, and I just think and imagine it in my mind that Johnny got a call this past week from his mom or his grandma, and she called him up and said, Johnny, now you know Sunday is Easter Sunday. Oh, it would really mean a lot for you to come to church with mom or come with grandma. Mean an awful lot. You know, Johnny kind of works down at the lumber yard, and he's a busy guy. Typically on weekends, you know, typically on weekends, he's doing stuff with his family. You know, he just don't have time. He's always got projects going on. You know, and, and church and being connected to the body of Christ, you know, church is just not really his thing. But he loves mom, and he loves grandmom, and his wife's been praying for him. Maybe she takes the kids to church on most Sundays. She takes the kids to church on most Sundays, and she's often praying, you know, God, I, I don't even really know where my husband stands with the Lord. You know, he maybe went when he was a kid, but God, you know, maybe one day, you know, he'll, he'll really come and connect with you and, and, and the body of Christ. So Johnny doesn't want to disappoint anybody, so Johnny says, yeah, yeah, I will. And so for him, like a lot of people, Easter is kind of that, that day of obligation. You're kind of obligated. You don't want to let mom down. You don't want grandma to think you're a pagan, so, you know, you're kind of obligated. 
So then you say yes. So Johnny says yes to the wife, and she's excited, and he's going to church. So then she goes down to Dillard or JCPenney. She buys him a really nice stuffy shirt and tie, and Johnny works at the lumberyard and never wears a tie. He's got to put this thing on. Then you got to make sure that Johnny Jr. has the bow tie just to match Dad's tie, and little Sally's got the dress on, the patent shoes. And then the night before Easter rolls around, and he's thinking, i got to put this on, i got to go tomorrow. And then the wife says, oh, and by the way, I'm making hash brown casserole for mom's dinner tomorrow. I need you to go to the grocery store and get this and get this and get this and get this. this. So Johnny runs out at night, and he gets all this stuff because of grandma's dinner. Then he gets up in the morning, and Sally throws up, you know. And in the car, the wife starts fussing because the yard doesn't look just right. He's like, well, you know what? If I wasn't going to church today, I'd be doing the yard. And they get into a big fight, and he gets to the church service, and he sits down, and he goes, whoo, I'll be glad when all of this is over. And a year will go by, or several months will go by, and there will be another day of obligation. Man, I want to take that right out of your life today. God wants to remove that from you. And he wants you to know that the most important thing today in your life, as good as all those other things are, and we want mom to be happy, can I get an amen? The thing that matters most is your relationship with God through Jesus. And God wants to meet you today. He wants to speak into your life. Man, I've been praying this morning that lives would be changed. And I tell you, at the end of the first service today, I really felt like we almost just shortened the Holy Spirit because I felt like there were people this morning who were really dealing with God and His Spirit in their life. So I'm praying that that spirit continues to move. So we are encountering today three ladies. Three ladies. And man, they took a lot in over the last few days. By everything that we learned from the text in Mark chapter 16, it seems that they were there. And they observed Jesus being crucified. They observed Jesus dying. They watched Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man, loan the tomb to Jesus. Nicodemus, who was a member of the Sanhedrin, but secretly followers of Christ. They took Jesus' body, and they put that body in a tomb. And they had to do it quickly, because at twilight, the Sabbath was going to begin, and they could do no work on the Sabbath, and the Passover observance officially so they were in haste, they were in a hurry, and the three women were, were watching, and I'm sure they're probably thinking, you know what, they're not getting this right, right? I mean, you leave it up to two men to do something, and the ladies always come in and fix things, right? So they're watching, and, and they do this in a hurry, so there's a good possibility that the body is not prepared and covered in spices, because you see, they didn't put them in graves. Jesus was put in a tomb, his body was put into a tomb. And it didn't take a matter of a few days in the Mediterranean heat for the body to have a stench. I mean, for odor to come up and the body to start the decaying process. So it was Jewish custom that they would take spices and they would cover or anoint the body in spices. Now, we even remember back when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And Martha said, hey, you're late. It was four days. He's been dead four days. And Martha says to Jesus, she says... It's been four days. You're caught. You, he, you, there ain't no way he's coming out of there. I mean, he's already stinking. There's already a stench. So these three ladies, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and then a lady by the name of Salome. Now, you want to talk about having a past. Do some study on Mary Magdalene. If you think a person's past can nullify them from being a part of a great story of redemption, you're wrong. You look at Mary Magdalene and do some study on her life and what she came out of and what she came through and where Jesus brought her into her life and how he loved her and how he accepted her. His mother was there, of course. You know, moms, they're not going to leave you. 
All the other disciples had scattered like a covey of quail on Friday. They're not around. But then Salome. You're going, who's Salome? Who's Salome? Don't hear much about her. She is the mother of James and John. Sons of Zebedee. Sons of thunder. So I guess you could say she's the mother of thunder. The mother of lightning, right? So she's there. It's just three ladies. And, and they had bought spices late the evening before to do the job properly and to show great respect for the one they love. So in verse 2 of Mark chapter 16, it says that very early on the first day of the week, this is early Sunday morning, they came to the tomb, they were coming to the tomb, when the sun had risen, no pun intended, no pun intended, when the sun had risen. So it's daylight, it's breaking day, and they're on their way, and they're saying to one another, it's like the, and I love how the t Mark wrote this, he said they're saying to one another, so they're going back and forth, they're, they're having this discussion on their way, because there's going to be a tremendous obstacle between them and Jesus when they get there. And what's interesting is that, that they wanted to be where Jesus was so that they could honor Him and do what needed to be done. And it reminds us today that, you know, you might be searching for hope. You might be searching for encouragement. You might be searching for love. And, and like the old country song says, but yet you've been searching for love in all the wrong places. And you might be on a search today, and you don't even know it. Maybe you came because you wanted to make mom happy. You wanted to make grandma happy. But you didn't realize that you were coming because there's something inside of you that will never be complete without Christ in your life. And it doesn't matter if you grew up in church. It doesn't matter uh, if you've been a religious person. Because you've been you can be religious. You can be brought up in church. You can say the right things, look the right way. But if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, it doesn't matter. It's empty. And you cannot, you cannot ride your life on the coattail of somebody else's faith. You can't do it. The faith of your mom, the faith of your dad, the faith of your grandmother, the faith of your wife, or anybody else. That faith, their faith, is not what you need. You need a faith that you can call your own. And there was one thing that these ladies were certain of. Now, if you read modern-day scholarship, uh, you're going to hear a lot of theories and hypotheses about what really happened on Friday. There's even scholars today who will tell you that on Friday, Jesus really didn't die. But he passed out. This is an old theory. It's called the swoon theory, that Jesus just passed out. He really wasn't dead. There's other theories about what happened on Friday that, that seem to want to pull away from the historical evidence and the testimony that Christ was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. But one thing that we do know about these early disciples, and we know about these ladies... They were convinced he was dead. How do you know they were convinced he was dead? They were convinced he was dead because they took spices to the tomb. The other thing that we see in this, they were convinced, but they could have been wrong, but they were still convinced nonetheless. They were convinced that, the, that he was dead. The other thing that we know that they were not convinced of, and they were not expecting, they were not expecting a resurrection. Jesus did prophesy that in three days he'd be raised. But they were not going there thinking the tomb was going to be empty because they took spices. They were convinced he was dead. But there's an obstacle that is there. And it's a huge obstacle for these three ladies. And by the way, as you seek for hope and love in your life, and the answer is found in Christ, and they wanted to get to Him, and you may not even realize how much you need to get to Him, there's a barrier between you and Christ today if you've never met Him or accepted Him into your life.
Scripture calls it the barrier of sin. And it's a big, big, large barrier. But listen to this. What the women did not know, what the women did not know was that on the day before, on Saturday the Sabbath, the Jewish leadership, they remembered that Christ had said he'd be raised from the dead. And they thought to themselves, we are going to put an end to this movement because here's what's going to happen. Those disciples, they're going to go steal the body. So here's what they did. They went to Pilate, and they went to Pilate, and they said to Pilate, they said, Pilate, we are asking you to seal and guard the tomb. Pilate said, hey, this is your business. You go do it. And they went and they did it. And according to history, most likely they did. They put a Roman seal between the rock and the tomb itself. And did you know that in the ancient world, based on Roman law, if you broke a tomb, if you broke the seal on a tomb, that was punishable by death. Now you tell me, for those who say that something fishy or a prank or a hoax took place around the body of Christ and that somebody took it, can you identify a disciple in history who was tried, found guilty, and executed for breaking the seal on the tomb? It's not there. In fact, these disciples would move from being convinced to being convinced absolutely, and many of them would end up themselves being tortured, killed. The legend of Peter is that Peter was crucified upside down. Now you tell me, would you die for a lie? Would you die for a lie? Would you die for a lie? This morning in Sri Lanka... Over 200 believers were killed brutally in three different churches by suicide bombers. Over 200 people lost their lives this morning. They were there to celebrate Easter. They might not have taken, been given their lives willingly. They didn't know it was coming. But would you? Would you die for a lie? Or in that moment of being pressed, I mean, you're being, hey, listen, you're being pressed. And someone's saying, you know what? I'm going to kill you. And your option here is to renounce and, and, and to say it's made up. It's a hoax. It's a prank. How many of you was coming? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry. So they were convinced. They were absolutely convinced. So this, this barrier between the women, a large stone, a seal that was put around the stone and the tomb, and also a Roman guard was put there. So when you look at their task of getting to Jesus, it's impossible for these three women, even an average man would not be able to roll the stone away. And as they were traveling, the scripture says, they're asking themselves in verse 3, they're wondering and they don't know. They don't know how hard this thing's going to be. They just know it's a stone and it's big. They saw it, it's large. They can't do it. They don't even know what's been added to it. And here's what they ask, who will roll away the stone for us? And the same question needs to sink into our hearts and our lives today. If Jesus is the answer, who will roll away the stone for us? Who will roll away the stone for us? I mean, let's just say that together, okay? Let's put ourselves in their sandals. They're, they're carrying the spices. They're expecting a, a, a body that's maybe starting, maybe not quite the decaying process, but they believe he was dead. And they're asking, who will roll away, who will roll away the stone for us? Let's just say that together. Who will roll away the stone for us? Who will roll away the stone for us? And make this personal. Who will roll away the stone for me? Because the reality is, if you are trying to save yourself today by your good works or your religion, you'll never get to Jesus. Paul would write and he would say, 
For it is by grace through faith that you have been saved. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Many people have tried. They've tried to be good boys and good girls. They've tried to be good little religious boys and good little religious girls. They've tried it, they've tried it, they've tried it, and they found out that religion leaves them empty because no one is perfect. Today, I invite you to give up on religion. Give up on trying. And I invite you to start trusting. Because here's the thing, and this is so neat, as they were saying to themselves, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? In verse 4, and looking up. Looking up. Looking up. They saw that the stone had been, and I'm going to add the word already, the stone had already been rolled away. The stone had already been rolled away. Somebody did that for them. And when it comes to you having a relationship with Christ, it's already been done for you. But you still have to come to meet Him. The stone's already been rolled away. All you have to do is accept the gift. Humble yourself. Acknowledge that you can't do this by yourself. Confess your failures and your shortcomings and say, Lord Jesus, would you please accept me? Come into my life. Save me, Lord. And the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, in Romans chapter 10, he says, the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we're preaching that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You cannot roll the stone away, but the good news is the stone has already been rolled away. They just have to come forward. In entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And some people will look at this, and they'll look at another gospel writer's account who says that there were two there, two angels. And they'll say, wait a minute here, this seems to be a contradiction because Mark says that there's one, but another gospel writer says that there's two. You might find yourself sitting in a college class one day and a professor who seems to maybe know a little bit more about the scriptures than you do will bring this up and will show you here in your Bible, Mark says there's one, but another gospel writer says there's two. Your Bible contradicts, therefore your faith is a hoax. But here's the thing. Mark's just focusing on the one who spoke. Mark doesn't deny there were two. He just sees and focuses on the one. I could say today, I could say, Brother Steve came to church today. But that does not mean that the rest of you did not come. That you were present to. And he speaks to them. And there's three affirmations that he says from that tomb. He says, Jesus, the Nazarene, he says, do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus. You're look, you don't realize, you're, lo you're looking for Jesus. You're looking for Jesus. You have tried love and you've searched in all the wrong places. You are looking for Jesus. I'm telling only Jesus can fill the void that's in you. And it doesn't mean that you will not have any struggles or have any problems as a follower of Christ. It just means that you can find hope and purpose in the midst of them. You're looking for Jesus. The Nazarene who's been crucified, yes, he died. He was crucified. He has risen, and he is not here. He done left out, y'all. He is not here. They were convinced that he was dead. Now they're convinced that the tomb is empty. 
He is not here. He's gone. Now, this doesn't mean, though, that they're absolutely convinced. And this is not the evidence yet that they need to change their lives. So here's what the young man says. But go tell his disciples and Peter. This is verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter. Go tell. Go tell. Go tell. You've seen that he's not here. There is an empty tomb. You go tell. You go tell. You go tell. You see, one of the reasons why some people struggle with church, the body of Christ, whether it's in a home church gathering or a non-institutional uh, uh, way of gathering for church, the reason many people struggle with church and, and being connected and involved is because they haven't connected their lives to the mission of the church. You see, when you're just observing or you're just sitting or you're just soaking, as we often say, it's good that you show support. It's good that you show love. But something has to happen in your life for you to be at the point where you're then on mission to share the hope within you with someone else. Now, here's what religion will do to you. And this is not what we're doing today. Religion will say, oh, shame on you. You know, good old Johnny, he finally shows up to church, and he, he's got the suit, and he's got, he's got the tie on. He's sitting there, and he's stuffing, and he's just waiting for this thing to be over with. And the preacher starts just lambasting him and telling him how rotten and dirty he is. You know, you only go to church one time a year, blah, 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 blah. And instead of being excited and encouraged that he's there, he's guilty while he's there and he leaves feeling worse than he did when he came in and you wonder why johnny doesn't want to go back what well, we believe absolutely wholeheartedly here is part of our mission is that god has called us to express and to share the pure gospel of grace which is simply put jesus plus nothing jesus plus nothing and jesus plus nothing is everything you can't add to what he's done. You can't take away from what he's done. The cross of Christ is sufficient. The Holy Spirit is more than adequate. He accepts you as you are, and he completes, he, he forgives you completely of your past, your present, and the future sin you hadn't even committed yet. Jesus died for those two. And this is the greatest news in the world. And to be on mission with this pure gospel of grace, the motivation changes from guilt and shame to love. Because guilt and shame are horrible motivators for anything. I mean, you can be guilted or shamed to do something for a season, but you tell me, what have you ever done for love? What have you ever done in the name of love? Now, some of you guys, you would be embarrassed if we shared with everybody what you've done in the name of love, right? You don't have to make people do things in the name of love because it's in them to do that. Go tell. Go tell. And Peter, I love this. And Peter, why is Peter singled out? Peter is singled out because he was the one who said, you know what, I will never deny Jesus. And Jesus said, yeah, you will. You're not going to deny me once. You will deny me three times. No, I won't. Yeah, you will. No, I won't. Yeah, you will. No, I won't. Yes, you will. And guess what? He did. But the love of Christ for Peter and the love of God for Peter is so strong at this point. Peter is probably feeling horrible because he's denied Christ, but yet the message is very pointed. Tell his disciples and Peter, fill your name in right here. Fill your name in. Tell his disciples, but let the message come to all of us. Because none of us are perfect. We have all failed. We all have warts, freckles, and scars, and we've screwed up, and we've messed up. We've all done that. And none of us is perfect. 
But the scripture says clearly, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no place for guilt. There is no place for shame. But you, but he said, go tell. And why? Because, watch this, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he said to you. He's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Why did they need to go see him? Why did they need to go see him? Why did they need, even Thomas, he had to see the scar in his hands. Why did he have to have that evidence? Why? Because an empty tomb will not change your life. Just being convinced the tomb is empty will not change your life. But meeting a risen Savior will change your life and make you a new creature in Christ. We're not inviting you to believe in an empty tomb. Though that might be the first step in being convinced. But when you meet the risen Savior, and He changes your life, you can move from being convinced to being convinced. Absolutely. And that's, that's the need today. Oh, I came across this yesterday. And I mean, this just really ministered to me. A good friend of mine has an astounding, she has an astounding ministry. Astounding ministry. Of ministering to war-torn soldier boys in a third world country. She's given her life to giving them hope and inspiration. God's used her in great ways to minister to these boys who were soldier boys, war boys, who at the age of 10 had to carry machetes and M16s and kill people. But that is not her entire story. She shared this yesterday. She says, I was at a spotlight, a stoplight, around 12 years ago when I pulled a piece of paper out of my purse and started crying. This was a picture she pulled out of her purse. I had given up on life, on purpose, on me. I had made too many bad choices. There was too much brokenness. It was too late for anything good to come from it. My life was supposed to be the life it counted. I was supposed to change the world. But instead, the world had changed me. Shame was my constant companion and consumed my reflection when I looked in the mirror. But it was there, that piece of paper. I limped my way back into worship. But I could only make it to the back row, leaving before the last amen was said to avoid conversation. Johnny trying to get out of there quickly. That one night the preacher had said something about the women in Jesus' bloodline, the broken ones. I had written their names down that night and quickly stuck the paper in my purse so I could get out before a greeter grabbed me. And it was there, in the bottom of my purse for months, until that night at a stoplight. I looked in the mirror only to see the ugliness, the ugliness of my past. It was Easter weekend. I needed to feel something, anything. But all I felt was despair and hopelessness. Not wanting to be here on this earth any longer. Reaching in my purse to get a pen, I accidentally picked up the paper and looked at it. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. I remembered the ladies who who were not the cookie-cutter clean ones. They were not the proper ones. They were bruised ones. They were the messy ones. The ones limping their way to worship. Rape, prostitution, deception, loss, affairs, brokenness, adultery, and shame. At one point, I'm sure each one of them thought life was over. Except it wasn't. 
God used it all. Shame didn't have the last word. The cross did. Grace did. Redemption did. A wave came over me as I looked at those names and thought about their stories as if someone took my emotional breath away and that was it. Clarity came. And I would imagine that those women marching their way to the tomb that morning, they're thinking this is the end. Maybe, she wrote, this is not actually the end. Maybe somehow this is only the beginning. Many years passed before I finally kicked shame's butt and healed enough to see myself through the eyes of Jesus. I will never forget the women who went before us, and I'll never forget the broken bloodline of Jesus. It wasn't an accident. The broken ones were not accidentally in the right place. He didn't tolerate them. He chose them. He chose the messy over the neat. He chose imperfection over perfection. He chose you. Who did he die for? Who was he raised for? You. He did it for you. And if Christ is not risen from the dead, the Apostle Paul would write that our faith is in vain, our faith is worthless, and we are among all men the most to be pitied. And everything hinges not on the fact that the tomb was empty, but on the fact that when they went to Galilee, Galilee they saw him and they met him there. And that's when he changed their lives and they went from being convinced to being convinced absolutely. And until you meet Christ. And for some of us, we've met Christ, but we're missing the part of the connectivity of a life of purpose, of being on mission so that he can reflect his life through us. But if you've never met Christ, if you have uncertainty in your heart, He's big enough to meet your doubts. He's big enough to answer all your questions. But it starts with this right here, and it starts with this day. Where do you stand? Can you say, I am absolutely convinced that if he is who he says he is and God is who he says he is and heaven is what heaven it is and salvation is what salvation is, I'm convinced I'll be there. I will be there. I will be there. When the last, the last trumpet call, when the roll is called up yonder, I will be. I will be. I will be there. If he's who he says he is, if he's risen, I, 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 my faith is in him. I will be there. Someone asked me one day, they said, well, Brother Allen, won't you tell us what heaven's like? I said, I don't know. I hadn't been there. I can tell you what Scripture says, but I can tell you it's one of the greatest hopes of my life is that when I breathe my last breath here, I'll breathe my first breath there. And my hope goes beyond that, that I will meet the risen one personally, but he wants to meet me in the spirit right now. This is a spiritual matter of the heart. And I just don't want you leaving today. If you're struggling, I just don't want you doing it. To me, Easter is not worth it. If you've got to walk out of here and feel just as empty as you did when you came in. So as you stand with us this morning, maybe you need hope. Maybe you need encouragement. Maybe today for the first time in your life. You would like to give your life to Christ. And listen to me. Listen, please, listen to me. Do you realize the person standing or sitting right next to you right now? This message may not be hitting home with you, but it might be hitting the person right next to you. Do you know where that person stands with the risen Christ? Maybe you don't. But you're standing there with them and you're for them. They might need you right now. 
for you to start praying. If you're a believer and, and you know, you're, you, you've moved from being convinced to absolutely convinced that He is your life and your hope. If that's you, just go ahead and close your eyes and bow your head for a second. Nobody's looking. But if you can, if you can shout to the praise of the glory of God that you have confidence in your heart, that you met Him, would you just lift up your hand and say, Hallelujah. Just thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I know that you're my peace. I know that you're my hope. I have met you. Just lift your hand up. Nobody's looking around. Just praise Him. Thank Him. That's why the Scripture says that the enemy is so many times defeated by the word of our testimony. He can't stand against who you are in Christ. So I thank Him and I praise Him. But if you couldn't be in that position and you couldn't lift up your hand and say, I have this certainty and I, I, and I have this confidence, maybe this moment is for you. Our prayer counselors are going to slip out right now. And they're going to come pray. And I'm telling you, they're praying for you right now. They're praying for you right now. If you want to come today and you're, you're struggling with anything or you're empty and you don't want to leave here emptier or just as empty, these are folks who are here to pray for you. So when Cody begins to sing in just a second, if you want to come up here and pray with people or have people to come and pray for you, that's what they're here for. This, this is for you. We did every bit of this for you. Every bit of this today was done for you. I promise you, it was done with your heart, your soul, your life, in, the, in our minds. This was done for you, that you would find hope in Christ. If you need to come forward today and have someone to pray with you, please come. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.